Hello, my name is Simeon Mordecai Bittman. Chef, dad, outdoorsman, sort of. Good guy, sort of. I guess that's about it. <laughs> All right. My name is James Gopp. I'm a fire enthusiast, a craftsman, uh, outdoorsman as well. I need to totally steal my thunder. And uh, yeah, <laughs> chef. You know, all around sort of renaissance, man. And this is figuratively, figuratively feasting. feasting. Very nice. Very nice. Cool. So uh, what are we going to talk about today, sir? Well, today, this is our first inaugural podcast here. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yes, you're welcome. Appreciate that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, so a couple topics we want to talk about today. We're in the food industry, so we're going to talk about the craziness of where the world is in the hospitality industry, what our lives are going through, why we're doing this, and um, a bunch of other things. But before we get into that, all that stuff, how are we doing this evening? I am doing quite well. Thank you very much. Very good. Uh, but there's more to it than that. I'm going through some tough times, man. COVID times. They're crazy in this business, and uh, I feel it every day. And um, joining the ranks with many others who are feeling it, I am fortunate enough to still be working and have worked through all of this. Yeah, you haven't stopped once. No. It's crazy. Yeah, so I'm tired. You know, I get burned in weird places. I burn myself in odd places while I'm cooking when I'm tired. Yeah. Uh, and also, I'm distracted. covid is distracting to the day-to-day, to the everyday, to the focusing in on the, the craft and the love. Um, but uh, generally, everything else is great. Lots of time outside, which is awesome. So yeah. I've been out in the woods quite a bit. That place is still safe. It is. Yeah. And it keeps me balanced. Yeah, that's great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a strange time. You know, as you said, it's a very strange time for all of us here. It's, uh, for me, I think the biggest challenge is um, this lack of purpose. You know, I feel as though during this time of year, we'd be going 100 miles an hour every single weekend. Um, you know, we're in two different industries. You know, for us, I'm in the events and catering industry. And, uh, yeah, trying to do all different kinds of projects. But at the end of the day, there's this sort of, there's this feeling of whatever I did, no matter what it was, I could have worked outside. I, I built a root cellar during this time. I've built a, like so a, much stuff, so dude. much stuff. And it's never good enough <laughs> yeah. because I think for, at least for my line of work, it's, it's not good enough unless you're leaving everything out on the field. And, you know, as I've gone through all this time, I don't really know if that's the right, the right way to look at it anyways. Yeah. So, well, but, more on that. Like I look forward yeah. to diving deep in with you about that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and we'll definitely cover that today. Yeah. But uh, yeah, where do you want to kick this thing off? Man? Well, first I think, you know, probably since it's our first shot here, so cheers, this is our first podcast, technically our, our second. The first one was a bit of a test, right? Where <laughs> we'll call it a test. A test, a very good test. Uh, <laughs> depends on what your definition of a good test is. Yeah, but right. you know, definitely learned a lot, right? Yeah. So um, You didn't drink when we toasted. I didn't. Shame on me. Never right? trust cheers. a man who doesn't drink. Yeah, absolutely. Upon toasting. And cheers to cheers you guys to you as well. Too. Thanks for uh, tuning in here. Thank you. Hopefully, you'll join us again. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think from my perspective, the reason that I think we're doing this is um, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And during this time, you know, I've looked at a lot of stuff internally, and but really thinking about 
you know, where my life is going, where my business is going, where the industry as a whole is going, what that looks like. Yeah. Um, and I, this is an opportunity I don't think we would have gotten had this not happened. Yeah, this is amazing, an amazing time to reflect, uh, yeah. to look within and to consider the bigger picture of life and our business and all the things like you just said, man. Isn't it crazy to think, though? I mean, like, it's, it's an absolutely horrible thing that happened, but yeah. had it not happened on the scale that it happened worldwide there's a very real chance that no change could have really ever happened because you know you hear about these horrible like environmental catastrophes in the other side of the world in the news in the morning and it's fleeting yeah it's like you know just a few moments and you're like oh my god that's so horrible you know and there's a bunch you know hopefully a lot of times there's a lot of outpouring and support for these types of nations that are going through these things but at the end of the day we don't ever really take it to heart because we don't uh, we live we live in a world where it's just like everything is so fast being thrown at us. Yeah. So we don't we don't get to experience it. We don't know. Yeah. And but, it's like oh well gotta go to work. You know it's like you like drinking your coffee checking out the morning news. Right. And you're like that's fucking terrible. Yeah. Oh my god. Your heart breaks. You feel sympathy. Yeah. Then you're like holy shit. Then then I like a, like rolling. your text bings or something and you're like oh fuck I gotta go anyways yeah yeah bye honey right you're out and then you maybe you come home right afterwards and you you recollect it again but in the matter of a week (laughs) it's sort of simmered out yeah so it's crazy I mean like a, a an opportunity an experience a catastrophe that's an epidemic that's you know affected us all across the world yeah um and you know it brought us together involved in this project yeah, yeah. I and also uh, it was a time to see uh, who our friends really are, and like really start honing in and focusing in on those friends and like going deeper into relationships. Yeah. Uh, and I think from that has sprung this podcast and the idea to do it. Yeah. No, I think it's fantastic. I mean, for me speaking personally, somebody that's just been a part of this, you know, I know there's this whole thing we've talked about before, like this hustle culture. And it's something where, you know, I've always believed in the way I've been raised is just work, work, work as hard as you possibly can uh, to grow your business. And I'm happy where my, where my business has, you know, gotten to after five years. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's, you got to slow down. You have to enjoy family and friends. And for me, in a lot of ways, I'm sort of actually rediscovering what friendship and family actually means. Mm. So, um, you and I have been in communication through a lot of this. Yeah. And I've seen you like grow a lot and just like consider things that I knew were like seeds inside of you, but always just so busy that it was, there was no time for it to sprout. Right. And a lot of the same with me too, man. Like a lot of stuff that I wanted to think about more. I wanted to meditate on more and that I wanted to freaking talk to you about, but we're always rolling, always going and going. Yeah. There's only time for dirty text messages back and forth. And yeah. that was pretty much, you know, what kept us going. Yeah, for sure. And it's so easy, right? The, uh, I'd love to, and I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. Yeah. It's a, it's, it was a really easy crutch. So yeah, it's, I think the reason that we're, I mean, the way that I'm super excited about this is that through this, we went, both went through challenging times in our lives with uh, subordinates, employees, mm. And we're able to sort of mentor each other in an interesting way because yeah. when you're not directly connected to a situation, you're able to have a completely different perspective. And yeah. um, that's something I also learned through our voice memos back and forth to each other because you have ideas as an individual, but when your human emotion gets involved with that, 
there's a lot of hesitance to make the right choices. Yeah. And when you're able to consult someone else on something that's happening and you realize, holy shit, why is it so easy to tell him what to do? Huh. But for me, I can't. So mm. there's a few times based off of our conversations where I actually sat down and voice memo to myself, which I've told you over the years, which is a, an incredibly helpful tool for myself. And I would highly recommend it for anyone listening is to be able to talk to yourself in the third person Yeah. because nobody knows yourself better than yourself, mm. you know, and you can't lie, but some people can, but then there's real problems yeah. at that point. You know, if you're lying <laughs> to yourself and you're believing it, uh, <laughs> it's an in it's interesting tools. Um, and that's why I was like super excited when we were talking about, you know, through our conversations, I learned a lot. Mm. I grew. Thank you. Um, and then listening to other audio books, um, a lot of developmental stuff. And the goal for me, at least, is wanting to do this to be able to reach out to other folks, especially in the hospitality industry where yeah. it's grind, grind, grind. Anybody yeah. really, I mean, the hospitality industry, anybody has a, their own business, yeah, right? Because it's like you have so much stress on you all the time. Yeah. And to manage people, it should be just as easy as, hey, man, I need you to do this for me by this time. Can you do that? Yes, great. But it's not that easy. Mm. And if there's ways that we can talk about stuff... Infl you know, like inspire people to think about things in different ways. I mean, that this is why. Um, yeah. This for me, it's one of the big reasons why we're doing this. Yeah. I really wanted to do it with you. Yeah. Thanks, man. And it's also good to know that you actually listened to those voice memos. I had no idea that you even gave a shit. Well, I listened to probably thirty percent. Okay. But, but the thirty percent is good. <laughs> it's not bad. That's not bad at all. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think another reason why we agreed to do this podcast is. We know some shit. Uh, we yeah. know some shit about cooking. We know some shit specifically about cooking over fire. Yeah. Um, and we know some things and feel some things about sourcing locally, about farming, about gardening our own stuff, but making sure that we're supporting local farming uh, and understanding that that's really the best product that you can get. I mean, yes, of course, a farmer can grow something wrong or weather can totally mess up a crop of something. Sure. But generally, less distance traveled, more delicious food. Yeah, 100%. And the way that you cook is very much affected by something that is incredibly fresh and flavorful and beautiful mm -hmm. and amazing. You might, you're not going to want to do as much to it as... Right. Uh, you know, a pale red tomato that comes in from Mexico, yeah. like in the middle of winter. Yeah, in January, where it just tastes like crispy water. Yeah, crispy yeah. water that you just want to add 19 different seasonings to 100%. and acidify and do everything just to try to, like, make it have some sort of life to it. Certainly. Um, so we have that in common, and we wanted to share that kind of passion. We are in a geographic location that is blessed for good food, uh, for good growers, good farming, and good value-added products as well. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, we're not in California, no. where they have access to beautiful weather year-round, year right? So it's different, and there, there's a bit of a pride here about being in this area where there's a ruggedness, right? Where it's like, you gotta prepare for those winters, because back in the olden days, you didn't prepare for those winters, you were gonna die. There wasn't no. There wasn't a joke. You were gonna get scurvy. You were gonna die. Cold, starving, emaciated. Yeah. Um, you know. So that's. Yeah. I think the importance of like living on this side of the coast, 
you can really understand seasonality. I think at least that's the reason why for me I, I appreciate it. So when some things come in, like a good patch of brambleberries, I'm on it because yeah. it gives me like two weeks. Yeah. If, I, if I can beat the bears or beat the birds to it, that's everything. Mm. And those are things for the rest of the folks that are listening here on the East Coast um, or dealing in an area with like highly uh, seasonal ingredients, a big part of that, I want to inspire those folks to also get on top of that stuff and understand how to farm stuff, when to, when's the best time to get things into the ground, what's growing in the woods at any sort and part, you know, part of the time, and also just get comfortable with your land, what's on your land. Did I guarantee you that there's tons of things that you walk by every single day that you have no idea that you could eat that. You could incorporate that into your dinner tonight, and it could be so good that it's only in season for a week. Yeah. So, yeah, um, and that stuff has gotten in our bones. Like we know about that stuff, and we will teach you that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and we'll make it as accessible and easy for you to grasp and absorb. We'll give it to you in different formats, and we'll make sure that you know. All right, you're gonna get quizzed. So yeah, you better be ready every week. And uh, <laughs> every week. if you fail, you got to send a check in. So that's how it is. <laughs> <laughs> you have to send a check-in? Yeah, send a check-in. Nice. Yeah, that's how we're going to fund this thing. They didn't know that. They signed up the moment they clicked on the video. So. That's awesome. And Great. then depending on like how bad the answer is will be how much we say they oh, have yeah. to pay. Listen, we're going to be rich. So that's it. I'm not even worried about it, right? Yeah, finally. Freaking great. Perfect. So let's, no, let's get I, into it, right? Yeah, you yeah. want start, to start from where we are here? So Yeah, and I know we, we've been having fun, and this first topic of ours is not a super fun topic. Though, I think that there are some outcomes that we will kind of recap at the end that could be really positive about this very difficult time that we're in. We already touched on them a little bit, uh, the ability to reflect yeah. Uh, on ourselves, on our lives, the ability, the ability to go deeper into friendships and relationships. But I think that there are some very, some bigger issues here uh, at play. And we could end up seeing a pretty cool hospitality industry that's perhaps more sustainable and more sol solid, uh, more structured, where people feel like they're treated the way that they deserve to be treated. So yeah. that said. Yeah. So, I mean, let's see. Where to begin? Maybe begin at the very beginning. You know, there was a point in time. March. You want to start back in like March or something? Sure. Well, even maybe before that, you know, there's been, you know, restaurant stuff was booming. I had a trip lined up to go to Noma. Thankfully got, you know, seats to go there. One of the best restaurants in the world. Been named several times best restaurant in the world. And then also I was able to be, you know, I was lucky enough to get tickets to the Fat Duck and Heston Blumenthal. The yeah. guy's amazing. He is amazing. Yeah, and it was going to be a once-in-a-lifetime ordeal, you know. And during that time, everybody was booming. You yeah. Know? I mean, there's so many, like, high-end restaurants were, you know, that's, that's a little bit of my background, high-end restaurants. I'm a big part. Like, art is a very big part of my culinary expression. I love to make things maybe present things in a way where it looks like one particular item, but it's actually something else altogether. But then everything just sort of came crashing down, you know? Yeah. And it's a completely different world. And I mean, for the as, as we've talked about many times, and I, anytime anyone asks me how I'm doing, this is the very first time in my life I'm okay with saying I have a seasonal business. 
because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, I, I care very deeply about the people that work with me. No, like I don't ever say like, oh, that, that person works for me or this and this and that. I believe it's truly a team effort. And to be able to do the events at least the levels, I mean, anything, any restaurant, any place you work, it doesn't have to be restaurants, it could be any line of work. You're only as good as the weakest you know, link in the, ch- you know, the chain or yeah. whatever it is. I mean, it's like everyone has to be on board. And yeah. when you start your business to ultimately, if you become a successful business years down the road, it's not the same business it was when it started. Mm. And where I am now, having had, you know, had to lay off certain members of staff, I'm having to go back to essentially year one. Yeah. And it's very difficult, especially huh. that when I've evolved my business in such a way um, where it is now. You know, everything mm. was very minimalistic and, you know, I'm the type of person that loves to grow, I love to change, I love to express myself through new pieces of equipment. Every year was like the sense of pride where something new had to come out, whether it's a new cooking apparatus, a new dish that require a lot of thought, preparation, execution on site. Yeah, you got to be able to keep up with James if you're going to be working for him. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Dude makes moves yeah, like I, crazy, and I, the artistic vision is always like popping. Yeah. So just you know, quick example. You know, maybe you can bring this in later, or just edit this in real quick when it, you were talking about it. Uh, when he says he likes to create things that look like something else, uh, I'd say you're famous for probably two things. Well, two things pop out in my mind immediately, and it's the robin's egg. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I actually almost forgot about that. And yeah. and also the uh, there was a lollipop oh. made with the same thing inside, but coated in a red gelatin oh and put gosh, on a yeah. stick. You that's remember right. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did that a few times. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's really funny. Yeah, I mean, my whole goal. I mean. You know, it never came to fruition. It was totally in the in the R and D stage, but really, what it started off was is, and it's funny. This is a recurring theme through so many dishes that I create is eggs, because I think eggs are just such an amazing thing. It's like, you know, the uh, the symbolism of life. You yeah. know, fresh spring, everything. I mean, there's just it's such a beautiful thing. And the story of like how I mean, plus I also have chickens, right? So and I think they're the most amazing creatures. They're like awesome tenants. They will take any of the leftover scraps I have from catering. They'll get rid of all the insects that are trying to get into my garden. They're sweet as can be. You can pick them up. They're loving. Mm. They have personalities and they pay their rent in food and mm. like a perfect protein. Yeah. So yeah, I want to make this dish, right? That it was like a chicken liver pate, but it was encased inside of uh, isomalt, which mm. is like this sugar, but you had to heat it up. You have to work it on a platform with a heat lamp over it. Uh, it's got Jordi Roca over in, uh, I want to say it's Spain. I, I saw this technique where he would blow, make these big, beautiful sugar balloons. And I was like, oh, that's such an amazing technique. And that's the beautiful thing about food is that you can get inspired by everything. You learn a technique. Yeah. You find something. You say, okay, how can I put my own, mm-hmm. how can I put my own spin on it? Like, mm-hmm. What does it look like for me through the heirloom fire lens? Mm-hmm. And so filling that with a chicken liver pate that I would put inside of a whipped cream canister, an ISO whip container. So I'd make a balloon, cut a hole in the bottom, um, and then fill the inside of it, and it was a blueberry uh, dye, so it basically reduced down blueberries and added that to the mix. 
to get this bluish tint. Yeah. Fill it, and then I present it in a nest, and you'd have to break the shell. And inside it was this beautiful, luscious, aerated chicken liver pate. Delicious. Yeah, so good. The ultimate goal was to actually be able to make a nest mm. from chicken that we would braise down, uh, shred. Oh, right. I remember that. Right? And then yeah. reduce down the braising liquid, huh. and then kind of like make it sticky, maybe dehydrate. I never got that far along. Yeah, that'd be interesting to explore a certain Chinese taste. We're getting off on tangent here, but... That's okay. Uh, exploring um, Chinese method for these this these snacks that they make with shredded pork. Mm. It's like a dried shredded product, mm. and it's like it's stringy. It's kind of crunchy, but you put it in your mouth and it, and it just dissolves. Like a snack? Yeah, it's like a snack. Oh, so that's interesting. And it looks like a nest of shredded so meat, the, like shredded dried yeah. meat. So it's really interesting. Like you know when I've Grant Ackett's another guy I look to a lot for inspiration because he's just a, a mad chemist, really, and I love all that. Mm. He, what his big phrase he would say is, "Oh, you know, nothing is new; everything is old, just yeah. recycled." And it's beautiful. I mean, it's, there's so much stuff that we don't even know, and that's the thing about food is like, there's so much stuff we don't even know that exists out there. Yeah. So, but anyhow, we, anyways, we, we yeah. Rest. So going way back, uh, COVID, your business. Uh, having to lay people off. Yeah. How did that feel, dude? And how, like, you, I know that you take pride in the team, and I know that um, you don't always show that, and that's probably smart. To, you know, you don't, you don't uh, put all your cards on, on the table right away uh, with all of the team members. You got to get to know James. You got to prove yourself. You have to work. Um, but I know that you must have felt like not good no, having yeah. to lay off people that you had worked with a long time and people that you were just about to hire and bring on for the season. Yeah, it was very difficult. I mean, the line of work that we have is challenging as it is as a seasonal business uh, because most people, you know, in an ideal world, a lot of people require the comfort of a year-round job, benefits, good pay, whatever. So you don't have to worry about jumping. I mean, you do that when you're younger, maybe as you're getting into the workforce, but as you get older, you have an idea of this is what I want. I don't want to be having to worry about six months from now yeah. in front of the job. And there is something called the Berkshire shuffle, which yeah. does have a double-edged, double meaning. Yeah. Uh, one we won't talk about. <laughs> but the other one is the Berkshire Shuffle, man. Like, there are a lot of people around here who do live seasonally. And yeah. it enables them the certain freedom of lifestyle to do what they want yeah. in the off-season. Yeah, for sure. But it, that also, it's interesting because I was thinking about this. I mean, I'm always constantly thinking about what is going on and trying to hire. Because hiring is one of the hardest oh my God. things, right? Because We're going to have a whole episode on that. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Maybe more than one. Yeah, and I think, yeah, about management, how to speak to folks, expectations. There's all different kinds of stuff that we're going to want to talk about. But with that, with a seasonal area... You also get, like, there is a, a thing of, like, where some folks, not everybody, not everybody, but some people get into a situation where they're, they understand that it's a seasonal job, and they just automatically stop caring. Yeah. You know, and which is disappointing, because with us, you know, you come out, there's obviously a learning curve like any job. You know, it's probably a month and a half, because for us, when we're bringing people, new people on, in which... In the five years, every season I've had to bring on new core people. I had a sous chef, which I'll kind of briefly touch on about how, like, having to lay that person off that I've known for a long period of time and how difficult that was. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we start off the season, new team comes in, they have to be vetted. 
Because also there's an idea, right? When it comes into a seasonal job, what people are getting into. Oh, I'm going to go work for a catering company for a seasonal job. Okay, so what does that mean? Oh, I'm yeah. just probably going to crank out a bunch of food and then I'll go home, I'll get paid well, etc. cetera. Yeah, the days yeah. will be long, but I'll get paid well. Yeah. It's a different thing here because mm-hmm. we actually give a shit about what's going on. So people need to be trained how to break down animals, how to actually process you know, raw meat into charcuterie, the art of curing meats for yeah. preservation. Pickling, fermentation, um, yes, yeah, so you like have to go through all of this and then COVID happens on yeah. top of it. Yes. So you've got like the crew vetted pretty yep. much. Yep. You're exactly. more or less ready to rip. Yeah. And people are like already have given up their jobs. We're psyched. We had all of our stuff. I worked for heirloom too, uh, as a cook on site and all the calendar dates were booked. We were even briefed on some of the bigger ones. Yeah. Uh, we knew when the first one was coming. You had the uh, the annual staff party planned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, bam! Like this hit what a month before the staff party? Yeah, it's about a month. And at that point, we had no idea. This was the whole thing. And imagine just like everybody, right? Everybody across the industry, everybody with without even the industry, but other things. But the food world, it's a different situation because it is literally so hands-on. Yeah. We're in the industry. Right where there's no social distancing. You have a few drinks, you want to get close. And also, I should mention, in case you're wondering, here we are sitting within six feet of each other, no masks, right? I think we're a bunch of cowboys, a bunch of wahoos out here in the country who (laughs) don't believe in any of the stuff. (laughs) I very much fear it. And, you know, we've been tested. Simeon is tested on a very regular basis. Yeah. Um, You know, it's nothing to be messed with, right? So we take this very seriously. We've both basically quarantined for this entire time. Yeah. The only time that we've gone out, really, for me, is to the market or to a farm to pick up milk. Yeah, you mask up. Right? I mask up, you obviously. You mask up, you sanitize, you do everything you're supposed to sanitize, do. Sanitize, yeah. yeah. All be- the things. Before all this, I basically lived uh, a pretty serious life of, life of social distancing anyways. Yeah. It was me, my dog, my land. And that was kind of the situation. So, <laughs> yeah. So, it's... um. Yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted to get that out of the, you know yeah, off the table yeah. just in case you were wondering, being yeah. reckless. Why are we listening to these fools here? <laughs> so um, yeah, so what were, what were we even talking about? Yeah, so COVID hit, season was about to start. Yeah, so right, exactly. So you know, and everything changed, and it was literally you know I, I reached out to some folks in New York, some friends of mine that were wedding planners, because they're you know like, that's a whole different world, the New York City wedding planning scene. Like, okay, so what's going on? How are you guys handling this? Because I got my clients freaking out, not knowing what to do. And those are hard, diff- you know, hard conversations because even underneath the best case of situations with folks, when they get married, you get to see their true selves. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of money on the line. Um, a lot of family members' opinions on the line. There's just a lot of stuff happening. And it's, it's a difficult ride as it is. Yeah. So, you know, the, the initial approach was to say, you know what? Try to keep your clients within 2020. No, just say, you know what? Hey, listen, here's the deal. We're going to push it to 2020 because the idea was that some of these folks are going to get really nervous. They're going to want to postpone to next year. So you would have to terminate their contract. If they wanted to move to 2021, terminate the contract, give them a fresh contract. means they would lose their deposit that they put down. Sort of it's a difficult situation to get into, but also you got to look out for the bottom line because this is not like, this is not their fault. This is not our fault. And also at the end of the day, like, you know, I've got a business. We all yeah. have businesses, and it's important. We have to protect ourselves. I mean, for me, I'm one of the most – when it comes to my clients, I mean, there's so many people. Yeah, granted, what we do is very different. It's very unique. But there's so many people that are cooking for special events. And for me, the fact that we're even 
that someone would find us, seek us out, and reach out, book a date with us, and have us prepare a huge event for them on the biggest day of their life, it's incredibly flattering. We take that so seriously. Yeah. So to then have to tell somebody, hey, you know what? If you want to postpone to 2021, I'm sorry. Like, that's devastating for me to, to have that conversation with these people. So it's very difficult. And then eventually, you know, it seemed to be basically on a every, not even a week, like every five-day basis, it was new information. I'm sure yeah. I'm speaking for many people when we talk about this. At the very beginning, it was just crazy. I mean, who, we thought like, well, whatever. They'll get this stuff under control. We don't have to worry about it. And, you know, come, come autumn, come September, everything will be back to normal. Yeah. But it's... Aha, not the case, right? You know, so one holdout in October right now that wants to do a larger event at 100 folks. For this year. For this year. But every, everyone's postponed to Everybody. next year. And what that means, I mean, it's difficult conversations. So now I'm holding on to folks' money. They don't know, like they're put into this weird limbo situation because now just as people's minds work, you know, like you have no idea. Okay. So now is, is 2020, is it going to be fixed by 2021 or what does that mean? Yeah. And coming from a, from a business standpoint, you know, we're able to make things work being a seasonal business. I don't have a huge staff. I mean, I hear horror stories of folks that have huge production companies that have to lay off their entire staff or restaurants having to lay off their entire staff. That's devastating. Yeah. I don't know. I, I truly honestly don't know how I would handle that <laughs> because that's, People are trusting you. I mean, yeah. I had to lay off my sous chef. And it was like literally to the point where I suppose subconsciously I knew it was coming and I had to handle it. But I didn't, I didn't want to face it because this guy was like a brother to me, you know? And it was, I, I had to bring it right to the last minute. And my accountant was like, look, you need to cut all non-essential staff now to yeah. preserve everything. So it was, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I like to think I'm a good businessman, but when I came to that, when, when there's people I really care about, team members I really care about, emotions involved, just like everyone, I'm sure. And, it, you know, I, I could have handled it better. You know, like I had him work, I gave him a bunch of busy work, and then the day came, I was like, yeah, man, end of the today is going to be your last day. And that was horrible. And, but the problem was I, I didn't, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. You know? Of but, course, of course. Of course. And then, you know, turns out, you know, the unemployment benefits were quite good for those folks. Thank God. Yeah. Right? I mean, and there's just, yeah, they've been good up until now. Essentially now, yeah. Same thing with the PPP loans, hopefully. So that's what we had to apply for. We missed the first round. Mm. And it's scary, you know. And the 70% of the money has to be used towards either rent or your, uh, for, for your salary mm -hmm. for folks. Yeah. Got it. It's, uh, it's difficult. So you're down to essential crew. Uh, that's basically um, office work yeah. and like booking for next year. Yeah. Um, do you have tastings scheduled? Have you done any tastings and what were those like? Were those all masked up? And yeah, great question. Yeah, very different because I'm very much a warm person. You know that. Yeah. You know, at the end of all of our events when you would work with us, you know, I'd go around and give everybody a hug before we left. Yeah. And I love human interaction. Yeah, there's I, like hundreds of pictures of like you hugging the bride, you hugging the groom. Yeah, I think, again, going back to how important that relationship is. I mean, this is a huge day in people's lives. And yeah. I, want it, I want it to be perfect as much as we can. And 
there's a bond that happens there because, you know, when you, when you weather things, and that's what happens with the crew for Heirloom Fire. When you go through essentially hell, events where you have no idea yeah. if it's going to be great. I mean, a, a perfect case scenario, everything's going to be fantastic. Weather's going to be agreeable. But there's so many events where we've done events that are, you know, 100 degrees, uh, water's not potable, there's Dude. no airflow. Remember that one yeah. event we did, like, uh, last year? I think it was over in... That sous chef, that was the one time... That he almost fell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, there was like, we had to hose everybody down. Uh, and somebody had a weed or like a, a leaf blower. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Julius? Yeah. Like, yeah silly. So stupid. It didn't work, but the hosing down was magic. That was, but that's the point is, is like when you weather those types of things, you go through that. And this is another interesting thing about at least this job. Why I, why I love it so much is that there's a camaraderie that happens when there's people, you know, there's times where, when you go through all that stuff, you know, no matter what you walk into, you have that person on your left and that person on your right, and you know anything is, anything is achievable. Mm. It's that those are your friends, it's your family. It's not even friends, it's family. It's a hardened battle crew. You yeah. show up, we can joke around, we, we rib each other real hard, yeah. but yeah. we know at the end of the day, we're going to get it done. Yeah. We're going to get after Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's awesome to hear you. I've heard you say that a lot of times. And... Mm. Um, me being on the crew, I often don't know if that's true. If like everybody feels that same way, you know? Um, and I, this is a little bit of a digression from what we're talking about, but you are the one who needs to hold that vision and keep it in place and like make it real. And I think that you can make it real by repeating it and by telling the crew that, that that's how you see it. Because a lot of people, like you said, like there are people who are thinking this is a seasonal job and that, and yes, and even in intense situations, they'll still walk away from it being like, oh, cool. Like I worked 13 hours. That's like $400. Yeah, right, right, right. Straight like that's good or, you know, whatever. And they might recollect like, oh yeah, that was a crazy moment. Right. But um, and there's also the, like the total flip side of it of people like they break too, like they can't handle it. They can't align with that at any part of them. And they don't realize like in, no matter how much you told them, like, dude, this is going to be different than what you're used to. Yeah. Like we're not going to be under a tent. Uh, cooking with a rented stove yeah. for 20 minutes and then plating a bunch of room temp stuff and like leaving yeah. that's art you know and all the appetizers aren't already yeah. wrapped in freaking half sheet pans yeah. ready to just plate yeah they break you yeah. know yeah it's interesting i mean and that's something i've realized no matter how much i try to explain that it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter and that's you know and i'm constantly trying to figure out ways to get that point across more because it is I mean, when you're doing you know 90 five to 97 percent of the food on site the day of we're pushing the limits and there's a reason why there's not more people doing it at that level yeah so to answer your question tastings yeah we had we had one tasting so far we have one coming up this weekend Mm. um it's yeah it's odd because you know people come in there's always a bit of uncertainty when folks come in the door you know they don't know what they're they're coming to this place this current iteration of heirloom fire is in a different, it's an odd location. So people will come in, they'll expect they're coming to some big massive farm or whatever, but it's really just this sort of hidden nook. And mm. they come in, it's just like anything. You go on a date for the first time, there's a level of awkwardness. Try to mitigate that. We start off with a nice glass of bubbly champagne. And then I kind of tour them around the room here in the tasting room. 
So are like, they wearing masks the whole time? Yeah, so the moment they walk in, they have to have masks. If they don't have masks, I have a little table set up that has masks in little Ziploc bags yeah. to take it. And then we have hand sanitizer that yeah. immediately have to sanitize up. And then we come through. And, you know, then they sit down. I want them to feel comfortable. Obviously, they can't eat food through their masks. So my mask is on the whole time. They're enjoying their food. We make cocktails. But it's very hard because at the end of this whole two, two and a half hours we've spent together, it seems strange because I have a business that caters to large-scale events. But I'm an introvert. I enjoy this. Mm. I enjoy this. Yeah. You, you folks over there, right? To be able to sit down and have basically a small dinner party with people that are super sweet, super excited. They can ask any questions they want. We have all these answers ready to roll. Yeah. And then at the end of the night, or end of the day, rather, of our tasting, I want to give them a, an embrace, a hug, to let them know that yeah. I really care, because I do really care. Yeah. And I want them to feel very good from the moment they walk out the door. And there's the challenges you go through, there's challenges like that for me. I mean, I'm not doing stuff on a daily basis like you are. Yeah, so... Yep. You know, and how distracting that can be. Because on top of just cooking really great, nourishing food for people, and then maybe in interacting with them, you also have an entire kitchen to look after on a daily basis, yeah. right? And that can be challenging just to do the same type of food while maintaining all the procedures. Why don't you, can you fill me in on that a little bit? Because that's different for me. Yeah, totally. Um, day to day is really freaking interesting, man. First of all, it's tiring and I could complain and fetch about it all I wanted. Also, it's quite intriguing that it has just become routine and how quickly these things mm. can become routine. Mm. So everybody on the crew and everybody in the entire building. Okay, so just to back up a little bit. Yeah, please. Uh, I am head chef at a small uh, center that treats folks who are in recovery in sure. various forms. Uh, we're in the Berkshires. We're nestled into the hills of the southern Berkshire County, close to Connecticut. And it's an old estate or something, right? Yeah. It's beautiful there. Yeah, it's an old estate. It's been many things over the years. Yeah. Uh, it's been a school, an academy. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's been an event space. Oh, okay. Um, and it was originally owned by a very interesting guy a long time ago. It's been now fixed up in 2013. Like, it was in pretty good condition already. Um, but it's been fixed up, and it's this beautiful mansion that Will's is Will's had that since 2013? Yes. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. That's, time flies. Yeah. Um, so it's this beautiful space. Anyway, day-to-day, yeah. uh, -day, we walk into what we call the mud room. In there, we, there's a temp gauge. We check our temps and call up. How do you take it? Is it just is it laser, or what is it? It's, this, uh, it's a probe that you put into your mouth and make sure you insert it into the sublingual hot pocket oh, under so your training, tongue. So there's a training Oh, yeah, we were totally this. trained by the okay. head nurse how okay. to do this yeah. in like a spe very special meeting. There's like a plastic exactly coating or something? Exactly how to do it. Yep, there's okay. a plastic, there's a box right on this, uh, this temp gauge. Okay. It has a reader, uh, a, an LED display here. And then the gauge comes out, it's attached by a cable, and you insert a probe, put it into your mouth, wait for the reading to show what temperature it is. Then there's a button, you like pop off the, pro the uh, probe cover thing, like poing into the garbage. You wipe down the machine. I mean, it's a whole freaking thing. 
then you get out your phone and there's an email every morning that comes out that we need that every single employee working that day needs to respond to with their temperature, what time it is, and if they have experienced any of these symptoms, there's an entire list of symptoms, and if we've been exposed to it, and there are a bunch of different questions uh, that we just sum up by saying no and no, and then push send, and that goes to the medical office. So let me just interject a little, the question about management. You know, So again, should be as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of, thankfully in this situation, um, and in our organization, the culture that was created right away uh, and that people have just gone along with is that of following. Oh, great. Like, it's very important. Great. I think everybody quickly realized, okay, we are in a stable situation here. Uh, so I've been fortunate enough to work through this entire thing. And others were getting furloughed. A lot of people don't know what the heck they're doing. Uh, they were offered support, but the support has now run out. I was able to continue, and not only that, but excel in my position during this time because it was a very trying time uh, for management uh, and to uh, being a manager, running a kitchen and dealing with this new emergency and setting up entire new systems. Um, so I rose to the occasion. But in regard to management, um, since everybody is already on board with it, people are just coming in and they're checking their temp. Also, the lead nurse, like if you're at work for more than 15 minutes, she knows everybody's schedule. <laughs> yeah, they're great. connected with human resources. So all of our schedules are totally tied in. So if like you're taking a day off, you have to report that. If somebody's switching a shift, you have to report that. Everything is reported. Wow. Uh, and the nurse knows. So if you're there for 15 minutes, phone rings in the kitchen. We're like, hey, Simeon, uh, did the dishwasher do his temp yet or what? And I'll be like, yes, he did. He's over there in the corner, like trying to figure out how to send an email with like no reception over in the pantry sure, or sure, whatever. Sure. Like, um, uh, yeah, so there's that. What a strange world, man. Such a strange world. And everybody having to, everyone having to adapt to that. It's yeah. so different. And how that affects us as a whole because, yeah, I mean, just, just as like this caring, you know, industry as it is, right? Yeah. And then you're so afraid to care for hmm. people. You're afraid to get close to them. You're afraid, you know, I don't know. And then, of course, there's the, the other The first option. two weeks, man, it was like... Okay, so after you take your temp, yeah. you then then the kitchen is right there. It's right outside of the mudroom. Yeah. Walk in. There's a bag hanging with um, Ziploc baggies of our masks, which are kept supplied by human resources. Uh, periodically, there's a military truck that pulls up, uh, and what? really, and masks are are unloaded from that truck. Why a military truck? That's strange. Uh, you know, I don't know, but they're specially issued masks. Uh, they're definitely safe. They're lightweight and very Are they effective. the blue ones? Blue, or, yeah. Yeah, they come. Interesting. Mm -hmm. so. And there are some other ones. Uh, some of the lead medical team and the nursing team, and I think some of the clinicians and some of the directors slash founders have masks that are, they just look a little more intense than those blue ones that everybody has come to know. Um, so anyway, walk into the kitchen, 
don your mask before anything else happens. Everybody's already masked up. And then begin your day with this thing on your face and with everybody having this freaking thing on their face. You have to like read how the team is doing. You have to feel that, what I like to call the field, feel the field of the kitchen. Like what, how are people doing? Is the place a mess? Is it in order? What are people's eyes telling me? That's all I got now. I don't have a smile or a no smile. I don't have like That's much more. Like, and that right. tells you so much. Yeah, yeah. For but sure. also, again, amazing what you can read just by looking at somebody's eyes. Yeah. And by looking at their body language. Body language, yeah, I was gonna And say. just kind of getting used to like missing. You don't have that anymore. So do you have to figure out how to fill in the blanks about how somebody's feeling, how they're doing how the team is doing. Yeah. Can you tell by no words that they've had a freaking slamming morning? Yeah. You know, and they're, are they in the weeds? Are they in good shape? Or are they just frustrated and stressed out because they're wearing a freaking mask on their face, they're exhausted, and their home life is also totally weird. Right. So they're like, there's this right, extra right, right. variable to understanding what people are going through yeah. when it comes to management now, which is very interesting. And that's what I deal with on the day to day. Like sometimes the prep cook will just snap, like just get like really upset about, I don't know, we ran out of iced coffee in the pantry, you know? Right, right. And so he has to go refill the iced coffee, which is like his job. Right. But he's like bugged out about it. Yeah. So I'm about to, you know, like the first instinct is jump down his throat and be like, dude, it's your job, do it. But then I think, okay, like everybody's being pushed to the limit here. Yeah, and there's so many weird things too that, you know, if you go to the grocery store, there's so many things. Obviously, the, the big one we all know is the paper or the toilet paper situation. And then there was flour. And then yes, there's just right. a bunch of weird stuff like shower cleaning is all of a sudden. <laughs> it's like, what's going on yeah. with that? You yeah. know, so, I mean, there's all these weird theories yeah. that I won't go into. But, you know, even as I did a site visit today and for a long time, there's still been shortages for pressure treated lumber. Mm. So if somebody's trying to build out this farm they bought, of course, at the beginning of all this stuff, now they're struggling trying to get that stuff. So the reason I'm bringing this up, other than just to cut you off, that's what I love to do. Normal. No, no, no. But is that there's so many of these unforeseen things that you just take for granted because you can go to Home Depot and get press treated lumber anytime. You should be able to go to the grocery store and get yeah. a bag of all-purpose flour. Yeah. Whatever, right? Yeah, really quick. The it's guy, was, we just brought on a guy to build our porch. And the dude had to go to four different places to get the right lumber. And yep. the final place he went to, he decided to go early, 6 a.m. There was some dude swiping up all the pressure-treated wood yep. for our deck. He had to, like, basically get into a verbal, like, confrontation with this guy. Be like, dude, just give me 70 of your boards. Like, yeah. I just need freaking seven boards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have 70. Yeah. Uh, issues with sourcing products. Yeah. Food, right? That's something we talked about. You've been having some issues with. Yeah. Because that's just, you know, with a lot of slaughterhouses getting shut down, it's massive COVID outbreaks there. Yeah. So the price of things going up. And then, of course, you know, I'm always the type of person who wants to question everything and prices and all this. Yeah. You know, even there was like a big issue, I think, a couple of years ago, I think, I want to say it was like a, a drought or something out west where a bunch of beef cattle didn't have yeah. feed, yeah. didn't have hay or feed to eat. And then there was going to be this projection that commodity beef was going to be just as expensive as grass-fed beef and how that was going to, because the market's always been so starkly different. Yeah. And now 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, that this is the thing. Like a lot of folks, I talked to a good friend of mine who's a local food purveyor, and he was telling me that there's a lot of farm markets on the side of the road or farm stops that have grown exponentially. Yeah. Because people are heading there, and now they're like expanding, adding on all these yeah. other things to it. Interesting boon to local industry. Yeah, and will it will it stay that way? Yeah, that's. Are people so eager to get back to the way it was? But the problem is, people don't know because we're so sheltered from what the cost was. Yeah to get there. I mean, I saw this one really, sorry to get a little bit sidetracked, but that's why it's so important to inform yourself. I found this like amazing uh, documentary when I was a kid, it was called Fresh. So it came out around the same time as like Food Inc., mm. but it was a much more positive mm. aspect to it. And a lot of like the usual suspects from there, like Joel Salatin and yeah. the folks like that. But it really raised awareness. My parents, I grew up in a background of just like, you know, commodity fed stuff, you know, how come, you know, look how much I can get for how little I had them watch the documentary. They completely went the extreme direction, which I wasn't expecting. They went like, they bought half of a cow and it's yeah. like, okay, well that's a little extreme. Cause where are you going to put it all? And you know, and all this other stuff. So knowledge, you got to know, you have to really know where your food is coming from. And I hope that I really truly hope that's what happens with the outcome of this. Yeah. I mean, maybe it'll just happen because the prices are going to be the same. Yeah. Right. Like as it, as it shakes out, yeah. um, the realistic cost of what it takes to produce meat might actually start being reflected and understood because there's no choice. Like if you want meat, this is how much it costs. Oh, and here's a bonus. You could get meat from this for the same price from down the street if you want. All you have to do is like pop into a farm and maybe grab it frozen out of their freezer and drop a check in a basket and like you're on your way. Yeah. And you don't even have to go to like the supermarket or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think there has to be a little bit more of uh, education about that. For, for sure. sure. I mean, because that's the thing is just people don't know. They have no clue. You know, like a lot of people think there's no difference from going to your local yeah. grocery store to pick up a steak versus yeah. a local farm and you see the price difference. But the yeah. fact there's so much more into the money stays in the economy. Yeah, totally. Know, the, the, the money actually goes to support this young family who's really putting in an honest day's living. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's so much. And there's so that's many a more. Huge discussion. Yeah, totally. Like it's not just tenderloin and, and yeah, that's like it. the cut pork chops. Yeah, right. on those farms. Anyways, yeah. So, uh, so day to day, um, yeah. There's struggles with. There were struggles with finding meat and poultry. Uh, seafood never seemed to be an issue. It, I'm not sure exactly why. Interesting. Uh, but like our local purveyor who brings seafood into the Berkshires, uh, didn't see. Oh, they actually went down for a while, and then came back up and we're taking orders like anything they're like please yeah just order please yeah, yeah, like yeah. tell your friends whatevs don't worry about minimums yeah, like yeah, we'll yeah. just do it uh yeah, minimums right. for those folks means like there's a certain amount in which most vendors require you to spend in order to basically make it worth it for them to come out and bring you stuff yeah right uh, so places were like yeah this place was waiving their minimums yeah um but yeah meat and poultry was wiped out and then it was wiped out locally too because as soon as it started getting wiped out there the farm just got like swiped up yeah and it was kind of cool it was kind of like yeah weird and dark and like terrible and really stressful to get even like a case of chicken but i'd call all the all the farms who are also friends 
and they would be like, yeah, we're totally wiped out yeah. and we're slaughtering in two weeks and that's all sold out too. It was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Within that sort of dark cloud, you start to see hope because imagine if you called them and like, yeah, we ha- we're loaded. We're, our, our freezers are, are full. Then there would be, then that's a problem. Yeah. That's a real problem in that case, but that's, yeah. that's good. You know, I mean, if things are more expensive, they're a little bit more expensive. Some, you know, specific products have kind of leveled out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can still, I can still get things uh, locally and regionally. Like it's a little more like regionally. So Connecticut, uh, upstate New York, Vermont is where, is kind of the closest I can get. Like the local farms are still just, yeah. I can't, I'm not fast enough to get into the race with those guys, yeah. except eggs. Like their eggs are happening. Yeah. So we're able to get local eggs by as much as we need when we need them. Yeah. Um, and produce is happening locally. Yeah. It hasn't been too much of an issue, though they're definitely suffering. It's not only a really hot summer, man. It's the COVID just has people trying to like, has people trying to recalibrate the way that they operate on the farm. So harvesting, packing, being near each other, having it picked up. And then the people, the the vendors and the distributors who are coming to pick those up, there's all new protocol and way of flowing that is just, it doesn't, it's, it's not super different, but it's just enough different that it requires extra thinking. And that's yeah. taking energy away from, really awesome produce yeah and efficiency is people naturally i think it's have such a hard time with change anyways yeah and then people have stuff going on at home like people are getting sick or they get exposed somehow and then they can't even be at work so these a lot of these places are short staffed or even the the paranoia where people just don't want to like well look i have a family of this and i I can't you know what i mean and then it's like okay well but we got we got to make this yeah. thing work, yep. you know. So yep. So there's that, and then there's you know we had to just switch to a lot of PC packets. So condiments are in these little packages, mm. and that's heartbreaking. Yeah, the right. amount of waste that's being produced yeah. from those little packets, and you can't get the exact kind of product you want. There's no locally crafted naturally fermented hot sauce that you can get in like a PC pack. You know what I mean? You're getting the big boy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting like the stuff that everybody knows. Yeah. And you know that your clientele is eating, is putting that onto the food that you've just like tried your best to lovingly craft. Painstakingly sourced. (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. So that's another thing that's been different about the day-to-day. Yeah. And then, yeah, being conscious of social distancing and being conscious of the fact that we have to have these masks on all the time has affected the way that we taste food. Um, it's affected the way that we are focused and present with our food and with the work that we're doing in the kitchen. It's like a constant distraction. Mm. It's very difficult to be working with a beautiful heirloom tomato, which are coming in by the boatload right now. Yeah when you have an itch on your nose from the tickle on the inside of the mask and you're sweating and like this whole part of your face is like throbbing and soaked yeah yeah you know it's it's hard man it's really hard yeah um and so but we're pushing through yeah we're getting through and it's challenging because then you know yeah as hard as it is you then 
you know, I hear stuff through the grapevine. Social media at this point in time has just become a, a war zone for people to go to and just complain yeah. or call businesses out and things like that where it's like, you know, so-and-so isn't following these regulations yeah. and whatnot. And it's hard. It's hard. They absolutely should be. And that's the part. I mean, it's hard. It's a, because as we know, like say I, I suffer the same thing with like a beard or whatever, any excuse. I mean, just yeah. wearing a mask, could be clean shaven, have a beard. It's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. But you got to do it. You We're all doing do it. it. We're all in it together. And if yeah. you're not doing it, then it just, who knows, right? I mean, it could be. It's true. It is like, who knows? Yeah. It's like, it could be that it doesn't even freaking matter to wear a mask right. after all. They might find that out. Right. But it's like, what are you going to do? You yeah, but also, just... like, what if it is the one thing? Like, if, if, everyone, if everyone is saying, like, yeah. just wear the mask, just wear the yeah. mask. Let's just get it done. Yeah. Like, you're never going to know, right? Yeah. So let's wear the mask for a couple months. And if things are still going up, you know, six months or whatever, then maybe it's not it. And then, I, then, then we'll hear about your hoot and holler and your conspiracy theories. But if you're going around and all these huge protests and stuff not wearing masks, you have no freaking clue. You have no clue. It, it's such, it's, I mean, it's such a crazy time in just the world of the divisiveness, the, just the way everything is just being torn apart. Yeah, things are being torn apart. There are folks who believe that this should, we, we could be a lot looser about this. And while I don't necessarily feel that way, I can understand the perspective because yeah. you don't know, like nobody really knows. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's just as much evidence and things coming out right now and research happening and doctors speaking out in the exact opposite direction. Yes. And that stuff is obviously quickly... Uh, considered conspiracy theory and arbitrary and not based in fact, but like, you know, if we want to dig deeper into here, science is a whole other... Anyway, yeah, I'm going to so, stop there. Yeah. And the only thing that I know for sure is the regulations in our industries, you know? I mean, for us, like, yeah. a lot of our work, I hate to use the term buffet, because I think of, you know, chafing dishes and beard nets. That's why I always say, like, oh, gosh, you know? So... Our version of buffet, we call it market style. These beautiful tables that looked like basically nature has taken them over over yeah. the course of 10 years. Gorgeous, beautiful stuff. We forage all in different properties and build it out with the surrounding flora. And my big thing is like, yeah, and so when they're trying to understand what that concept is, and they'll be like, oh, is that like, is that like buffet? I said, yes, it is technically <laughs> industry term buffet, but I hate After to say that. After all that, buffet. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah like, ours yeah, is then, too. Yeah, ours is it, buffet too, but yeah. it's like served on this beautiful piece of furniture that's, you know, there are others who could speak much better on the history of this furniture and where it's been and the type of wood and all that stuff, but it's beautiful and it's served in a beautiful room on beautiful platters. Mm -hmm. We have just enough time to serve it so that we can keep it hot uh, and we make it look amazing. And it's a buffet. Yeah, it's a buffet, right? And that's what I was complaining about is like, hair nets and beard yeah. beard nets but now we're wearing masks yeah. and gloves and also like we're not allowed to do buffets and catering events for large-scale events anymore that is done yeah so now it's our family style service which requires more staff but also there's no dance floors allowed for any of these things and there's no bars Dang. allowed for any of these things so it's a whole different it's a whole different world how long does that last? And then when the other question is, when would somebody actually feel comfortable going into a crowd of people not wearing a mask? Yeah. Is a vaccine going to change it? How many people are going to get the vaccine? How fast are they going to get it? Are they going to trust it? You know, it's a mm -hmm. whole, I mean, I think we're going to be hunkered down for this for a while. And you know, like one of the, one of the topics I read today is 
you know, a, a big, another chef I look to a lot, Dan Barber, he's also a Berkshire boy, is Blue Hill at Stone Barns and Blue Hill in Greenwich Village uh, in Manhattan. And, you know, with their whole thing, I mean, I, I love it. Yes, it's absolutely a high-end experience. It's, it's, it's an expensive evening. It's not just dinner. It's a theatrical experience. You're going out to see a show. And it's strange because I would look across, you know, some couples that would maybe come out and it's like they're having date night and they're in the middle of a conversation. It's, it's almost like, I don't know, I, I, I could never go to it like that. It's a very special experience. Mm. It requires a tremendous amount of staff to pull that off. And that means a huge payroll. And then when you're not allowed to have, like with all these constrictions that come in, what do you do? You yeah. know, like a lot of people have been switching over to these takeaway boxes. They've been doing these interesting farm boxes where it's, you know, they did like a fermentation box or they did a fish box or mm. a meat box mm. and allowing people to come on this beautiful property. Uh, that's an agricultural institute. It's gorgeous. It's a big, huge farm. You can come and have a picnic. But now, as they look to the future, I mean, that's not for a huge property like that with any of these high-end experiences. What does it look like to pivot? And we're going through that situation, too. But Blue Hill, just reading in the news, is for, for the season of 2021, they're not going to actually be opening up again as Blue Hill. Yeah. It's an interesting concept where, wow. yeah, so Dan Barber, the chef there, is actually stepping out of the kitchen. He's not no longer going to be involved with any of the food preparation. So they're starting to do a chef and residency sort of system. So for four seasons, they'll have a chef that would come in and, you know, helm spring for that spring season. Yeah, they would get, uh, you know, room and board on property. And the restaurant is not going to go underneath the banner anymore of Blue Hill. It's underneath, I'm assuming, their name, which mm. I don't know if it's open to, like, if they want to call it something specific or if it's just going to be the chef's name. Mm. Uh, and it's an interesting concept because I think about how is that going to work? You know, maybe it's that that person is responsible for bringing in all the staff, the day-to-day -day operations, the food purchasing and all that kind of stuff. That's certainly a way to mitigate the costs. Yeah. I think Blue Hill in the city is not, they said that that is right now, it's still uncertain if it's going to open back up. But that's an interesting way to look at it. And yeah, they said that of course he would be one to really think of he would be a pioneer in during this time to think of something really creative and awesome and inventive yeah. and like kind of inspiring it sounds like he still probably and his team gets their rocks off in, in the creativity realm even amongst all this you know like you talk about those different boxes yeah. but now like to actually allow these chefs to come on and figure out how to make this work is pretty awesome. That's like a really good idea. There's probably a lot of different motivations that he's folded in to make this work. A, a typical, you know, course at Blue Hill is about 25 courses and it ranges for like six hours. I'm very curious to see. So the, the way it's laid out is that the chef whoever comes over, it's completely their thing. He has, he's completely hands off. He's transitioning into, to be able to facilitate that experience to make it happen. And also a couple months ago, uh, I think there was a chef named uh, Preeti Mystery. I think her name is, I'm probably mispronounced that, so I'm sorry if you're listening. Uh, she criticized Stone Barnes for the lack of diversity mm. in their management. I think she's out, of, she's out of San Francisco. And obviously he heard that, uh, Dan Barber. And so they, he, you know, what he had said, quote, there has been a reckoning in our industry, and we've heard and discussed many pointed structural questions about the system that we uphold, especially about the racial and gender in, uh, in inequities, Barbara wrote in this letter. He went on to say, uh, becoming truly conscious of how I've both benefited from and contributed to the system is a process that is, no, it is long overdue. 
And I know that this recognition means little unless I actually put it to use through concrete actions. I'm learning about structural changes that I need to make in order to ensure that at the heart of all of our future work, we build a community and a culture that is supportive, equitable, and diverse. Mm. So I know that's a big focus on his as well. So I'll be really interested to see who these chefs that he's going to bring on yeah. to home this restaurant, what techniques they're going to use. Yeah. But also it's this great idea is like, you know, if they bring somebody in that has maybe, I don't I have, I have no clue. I'm totally just, you know, spitballing here, but maybe like a, like true, like African roots. Like what is that going to look like with a Hudson Valley type of, uh, you know, market with yeah. what's coming from there, all their vegetables. Mm. And then you could have somebody that's Indian, you know, yeah. that's bringing those. So, so it's a really interesting it's a really interesting thing, and it's also pretty bold to think that way, you know, to kind of make that step, because so many other people uh, are just trying to find ways to make what they already have mm. work. Mm. And this is completely flipping it on its head. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's and also, like, yeah, he knows what's up, man. Like, before this COVID stuff was going down, there were chefs from all kinds of different backgrounds and from all different parts of the world starting sure. to do some really interesting stuff with food. And they were starting to rethink how restaurants were gonna be anyway. Uh, even as there's a city close to us, Hudson, New York, yeah. uh, a lot of experimental restaurants, a lot of people coming from the city, chefs coming from the city and trying out something new and doing, taking influence from various parts of the world. Yeah. And some of those places were getting recognized by James Beard. Mm -hmm. It was like starting to happen, the James Beard Award. Uh, and some of these menus, Dave Chang uh, and his entire empire, he's opening restaurants all over the world yeah. with this approach of like, let's stand back and let the chef, a chef from that region or a chef from somewhere, another part of the world who is freaking kick ass at Momofuku in the city, open up this restaurant over here, right. like in another part of the freaking world and just do his thing and yeah. shine and come into being himself. To be able to, once they step out of that box or yeah. whatever the vision of that particular restaurant, to gently tap them back in there. Mm. And that's what separates truly great leaders mm. from just, I mean, you can, you know, there's so much pride in this industry is, is I'm a chef, I grind all this stuff. I yeah. will go into this much later about the history yeah. of being a chef and what that means and where that pride comes from because it, you know, in its very meager beginnings, it was a hard life and it there was. was no celebrity involved in that. But we'll talk about that later. But yeah. it's very important that we start to flip that over yeah. and see things, you know, in a, in a different way, certainly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so there are chefs who are starting to think about how to spin this in a positive direction. Um, in the Berkshires, it's a really interesting time too. Uh, places are starting to reopen. There's a lot of curbside uh, and patio dining. There are a lot of masks being worn and there's a lot of takeout. For the most part, people are getting on board. They're making sure that they're thinking about social distancing, masking, yeah. Yeah. more or less doubling down on practices they should have had in place before and that they did have in place before minus the masks yeah um and some are getting very creative uh, there's a guy doing something similar in a way to what dan barber did in that he gave up his space to two other adventurous chefs who came up with a really fun and comforting takeout menu and they're slamming all kinds of really awesome food out of this kitchen that was like kind of a fine dining restaurant. 
so that's the way that he was able to deal with it mm. is just offer his space to somebody else. And what is he doing? And then? let them do stuff. He just sort of watches over it, and he has other restaurants that he's, or another restaurant that he's uh, involved with trying yeah. to figure out. But also, this guy, the first guy, one of the first guys I got in touch with in the Berkshire is like, dude, this is crazy. How are you? He was like, I'm great. Like, I'm chilling. I'm not even busy. I'm like relaxing. I'm going on walks. I'm enjoying being outside. Uh, I think it was very easy for a lot of cooks to let go into that. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because this particular guy that we're talking about, too, I remember. I mean, he hustled real hard when he first opened his restaurant, you know, like, seriously. And it's funny because there was another guy who went through the same thing who went to a chocolate shop here. Yeah. And I remember him, him and I having many conversations about this particular chef where he was like, yeah, I mean – He's going 100 miles an hour. He's like, I remember those days too. Is the problem is you can't, you cannot maintain that. It's mm. like, you know, it usually happens around five years. It's funny because I don't know if it's, you know, a uh, egg was put in my head or something, because I'm also feeling that around five years that I need a uh, breath for my company. Uh. You know, so um, I see it happening. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's, you, you can't drive a sports car 200 miles an hour forever without taking it in because yeah. as things grow and they change, with your growth and the hard work you put in, it's very easy to be like, oh, you know what? I'll get to that later. Vroom. Yeah. I don't have time. Vroom. And all of a sudden, before you know it, the basement's flooded or whatever. And, you know, if you're talking about the sports car analogy, you know, that you don't got any brakes mm. or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So another reason that this weird yeah. it was and like, difficult time is sort of a blessing for those who are maybe at that five-year point. Yeah. It's to interesting. start thinking about other alternatives. It's something I've always loved is teaching. And we've sort of, that's been the one thing that's made sense for us to be able to start bringing our fire experience to people's homes. And we've done one, which was hugely successful. Just come and set up an oven and had a one-on-one experience. And that totally works with my sort of introverted nature, mm. you know, and to be able to deliver that and have that make sense. Right. Huh. I mean, I, I, it's good to see these big players in our field, acknowledging that and supporting that because for so long it's been, they got to be on top. They got to micromanage yeah. everything. That's to be their vision. There's going to be mistakes. hundred yeah. percent. There's going to be mistakes when, when you give people that freedom, mm. but it then becomes your job. You know, during this time, it can be so critical. Uh, when you are bobbing and weaving and switching directions just and basically throwing stuff at a wall to see what sticks, mm. you know, and the danger you're running into there is that you can easily damage your brand. You can damage your company, what it stands for. And, you know, I just made a, a social media post about this the other day is that during these times, it's so easy to throw all caution to the wind offer discounts. I mean, this is the, this is a big discussion mm. that's happening right now in, in the wedding industry is that people are trying to offer discounts mm. or the other hard part is, is that with the majority of us, yeah, I mean, gosh, kidding me. If, if I could give everybody, if you were getting married and you say, Hey, my, my original date's on a Saturday, 2020, you want to push it off because everybody wants a Saturday. Historically speaking, weddings have been on Saturdays forever, really. Yeah. Right. But I cannot give you, you want your Saturday next year. I would love to say, Simeon, Please, absolutely. Have this next Saturday, not a problem whatsoever. Yeah. If I was to do that with every single client, that would mean essentially a year of no income for me, which is incredibly hard because, again, it's not just me sitting on a pile of bonbons. Like, well, I'm out of bonbons. What am I going to do? It's not <laughs> that. It's the people that work with me. It's my business. It's I have many responsibilities. There's other folks because if I give everybody yeah. 
their, their ideal Saturday, there's a very real chance that me and a lot of other businesses actually won't be in business. Yeah. You know, and if you're a smart business person in your contract, you see your deposit is non-refundable. And again, that's to protect yourself, but you want to push people to do that, to get into that situation. They might not be around and then nobody wins in that case. Yeah. So, you know, it, it can be very, uh, it can be very stressful but we got to hold the line mm. in the sense of everybody has to be in this mission together. We have to be able to support each other. You know, everyone does differently when, when dealing with stress. It's very hard when you have to tell somebody. Mm. And they're going to use every tool in their kit to try to get you to break. Mm. But you have to just be honest, transparent. These are the reasons why this isn't going to work. Mm. But the moment you give in or whatever, or maybe you have a business where it's not your main source of income. And this is the hard part, too, is a lot of people do this as a, as a little fun project on the side so they can have a vacation someplace or yeah. get that new you know, purse or new car or whatever it is. Mm. You know? and, but when they start doing that and then they give in on these things, not really give in is the right word, but when they start just offering this stuff up for the rest of the folks, I mean, for me, this is everything I have. Yeah. So when you start giving up in those types of ways, it makes everyone else who really has a lot on the line here yeah. look like a bunch of jerks because, well, <laughs> everyone else is, or this person gave in on that. Yeah. So I think the unfortunate truth is we're going to see a lot of folks that don't love, absolutely love what they do, kind of fade away here. Mm. And you're really going to see folks that love what they do dig in, pivot, twist, uh, you got it. You know, you just you just got to stay true to your stay true to who you are. Remember mm. why you got into this. And this yeah. is the thing is like then this is the part where it was as for me speaking 100 percent challenging. Like I have to dig deep and say, all right, here's the deal, man. What do you love about this? What mm. do you love having your own business? Why does it matter? Why don't you just cash it in? Mm. It gets really hard. Yeah. And the truth is uh, because I mean, there's a lot of great things. You have your own business. You're your own boss. You're your own visionary. You know, you can be able to create things and hopefully inspire other people to get behind your vision. Yeah. But I just, my, my, my word of caution would be for those folks out there, especially business owners, just be really careful right now. Mm. Um, because also, if you start flailing around, your team is looking at you like, okay, well, this person <laughs> is flailing and we're just coming up with all these discounts and uh, every week something changes and all of a sudden it looks like this is a person they can't get behind. Mm. So in these times, I think with your innermost close management staff, that's where the conversations happen. Keep things close to the chest as much as you can, even though you're screaming and pulling your hair out, banging your head against the mm. table. Take your time and just remember and stick, stick true to yourself. Yeah, and my advice uh, to folks who might not have their own business but are working for a business or have worked their way up in a business it is the same it's very similar in a lot of ways it's remember and reconnect with why you're why you got to where you are where do you do you love what you do where is the passion what has driven you uh, maybe it did, maybe you don't love what you do. Maybe the reason why is because you stumbled in as a way to pay your college bills from an education that made no sense to you. Uh, but somehow now you've been down the road for 20 years and you realize that you got to double down so that you can support your family, so that you can move forward, so that you can maintain the kind of lifestyle that you have gotten comfortable with or that your family has gotten comfortable with and you got mouths to feed. It's time to like buckle down and 
if you can reconnect with the love and you can reconnect with the passion, definitely do that because we're still creating art here. We're still creating beautiful food. We're still benefiting from the death of animals that are there for us to prepare food to sustain us through difficult times like this. And it's important for us as chefs to hone in on what we're doing, maybe even more so than ever, and get focused and make some beautiful fucking food. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's really easy to say. It's really easy to say all those things. Yeah. But, I mean, I would really, really, really challenge you to spend some time by yourself, mm. you know, if you can. Because, again, we live in this world where everything is at our fingertips and there's so many distractions and we don't want to deal with something. Well, it's no problem. I'll go on TikTok. I'll go on Instagram. I'll go on YouTube and just numb myself out. Yeah. But those problems are going to be there. So you really have to spend some good time with yourself, maybe meditate, maybe journal, maybe, you know, for me, it's the voice, to voice memos to just get all that out and pretend you're the only person there. Yeah. Um, super important to take care of yourself because especially if you have a crew of people, the tribe, a family you're looking after, yeah. you, you won't be able to look after them if you don't look after yourself. Mm. So, yeah, I yeah. think the, the takeaway, too, here is that, I mean, there's also over 200,000 hospitality industry workers that have lost their jobs that are, in some places and restaurants they've worked at for some time, that just are not, that job's not coming back. That restaurant's not opening up again. Yeah, I reached out to some chefs in various cities last night uh, just to see where they're at. A lot of them are furloughed, and they don't even know if the place is going to be reopening. Right. Like, they don't know if they're going to have a job. Right. And they're just sitting there like, uh, I don't know. Like, these are, these are um, chef de cuisines, sous chefs primarily. That's who I connected with. Uh, folks who I came up with from culinary school. And they're like, I don't know, man. Like, we had a contract. This one guy, like, had a contract uh, through one of the big food contractors at a very esteemed property in the city and they don't know the, if the property is going to reopen it has it's and then another place a hotel they don't know if the hotel is going to reopen and there are no guests coming in to frequent the hotels no hotel no guests no restaurant so for the folks that don't know what furloughing means what does that mean are they still getting paid or how does that work yeah there are different conditions uh, i didn't get the specifics on these guys but some places furlough, and it just basically means we're not paying you. There are no benefits here. But when we reopen, you can totally come back. That's kind of where it's at. And they're collecting unemployment. Yeah, and, okay. you, can, uh, and you can collect unemployment, and we'll, we'll make sure that we'll support that. Uh, then some places hold on to health insurance if it's available. A mm -hmm. lot of places don't have that available. Um, but those who are fortunate enough and have businesses that were able to continue paying their health insurance stuff, uh, they're offered that at least while they're being furloughed. Yeah. Uh, and some are paid a, a particular percentage. A lot of that ends up being uh, essential employees or directors or folks who are really high up in the business, if anything. Mm. Um, and I think various iterations of that Interesting. combination. Interesting. Yeah, that's crazy.
Yeah, and then and then there's going to be some folks that maybe who knows that furlough is they get told you know unfortunately it's just not going to open up and there's so much uncertainty and one of the things I would do is I would encourage other people if you're feeling hopeless right now and you've worked in restaurants for so many years and maybe you know you're some of the folks that really get down with with gardening wanting to know where their food comes from and growing things in your own yard maybe you've been doing that for a few years now is also a time to look at what other interests and other hobbies that you may have. Yeah. Because all is not lost. Maybe you don't, maybe your restaurant doesn't open back up. Maybe your area is a small town and there's not a lot of other restaurants. What else do you know? I like frog marionettes. You like frog marionettes? Yeah, yeah. You know what those are? Uh, They're like puppets, but uh, they're frogs. Okay. And they they dance around like they got a little hat on, the cane. Nice. Yeah. And like Good. that. A yeah, yeah. Bit. Do you make them? Do you sell them? Uh, no, I Good. just, right. I, I like them. Well, great. Do me a favor. Don't ever interrupt me again. Not in the middle of something like that. Oh my God. Now, so, anyways. Please continue. Well, uh, if you're also not making frog marionettes that you can sell on Etsy, there's another, there's, an, there's other. So cool. It's a pretty lucrative business, I think. Frog marionettes? Yeah. You better, before we release this, you better write this down. This little frog. business, frog marionettes. So we're going to make our millions. So uh, F-O-R-G. Yep. Beautiful. Perfect. Good. Good. That's good. So now is the time to look into your passions where you are. What else do you have to offer? Now I think is a serious, like a knowledge-based time yeah. where, you know, maybe you've been gardening for a couple of years. You think you don't really know much. Maybe you don't know any, you think you don't know enough to teach somebody. But truth is, you know more than they do. So this is a great opportunity for you to dig into that, whether it's, you know, just your friends, there's got to be a community board through Facebook or something like that. You know, I I don't know what else. Maybe you're a banker and you got laid off from your job. Well, maybe start seeing if people need help with finances. Maybe you're inherently organized and you don't even realize it because maybe you're like super type A. Well, there's a lot of people right now going through their houses. You know, if, you, if, if there's something you feel comfortable with, put a mask on, you know, head in, offer your services to help people organize, uh, you know, like Marie Kondo, that shit, you know, get in there and say, yeah. do you want, you know, we need to like organize things up, whatever. So just think about your hobbies, what you're passionate about, things you might not even realize you're passionate about. Now yeah. is the time to get after it because there are many other opportunities out there. And for, and you know, the truth is, I mean, I, this is the industry I know. I love it. I have many other hobbies as I'm sure you do. Uh, but the hospitality industry does not have to be the be all and end all. There's a lot of folks also, which could be a topic down the road talking about burnout and how to avoid that horrible, horrible thing Mm -hmm. that can happen. That's a real thing for folks. Yeah. And sometimes people just stick it in no matter how miserable they are, but they don't even realize how miserable they're making everybody else's lives. Yeah. And it's just, it's a, it's a horrible thing to get into. You can get out of that. There's so many venues in the food world that I had no idea when I went to culinary school. I thought for sure, I was like, oh, I'm going to be in a restaurant. Yeah. I'm going to own my own place right. and all this other stuff. And that didn't happen. Uh, but I came to find out shortly afterwards there were many other avenues I could take. Yeah. So don't fret. Take some time. Also, if you can, just get outside. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. Where you enjoy. Inside. That's what I yeah, thought take, you were about to say. Yeah, it's like, super hard to enjoy to think this time. It's so hard to let go into yeah. that because yeah. there's so much going on. But seriously, you guys have been working really hard for a really long time. And you put your heart and soul into your work. You're freaking tired. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity Truly. to take a break 
yes, there's finances and there's pressure there and there's shit happening around and there's misery and loss and really difficult stuff. Also, we're not working a lot. Well, I am, but a lot of you guys are working. not working. Like, how awesome is that? James, you look amazing, dude. You can see no, you're not working. You, like, work out and shit. You're, like, going running at 4.30 in the morning and everything. I try to, but I totally fall victim to the stress of what's going on on a day-to-day basis. And, yeah, it's 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 difficult time, but truly the crux of this whole thing is that and here we are uh, midway through August, and <laughs> it's almost gone. I mean, the yeah. days are changing. The nights are cold. The mornings yeah. are cold. Yeah. When you get up at 4 o'clock in the morning... Well, you're sleeping. It's very cold. What? So it's uh, jab. It's uh, yeah. So it's like the, it's not going to be here forever. The point is, yeah. Try to schedule your time. Have a day. Get outside. Get outside. Truly, just get some of that vitamin D that we're all starved for here in the East Coast. So. Yeah, definitely, man. Thank you very much. No, it's, I think this time. is great. No, it's thank you for your time as well. Thank you for the uh, the delicious bourbon, little uh, old fashions we've been drinking this evening. Yeah, thanks for mixing um, them up so properly. Oh, well, good. I'm happy you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. For the rest of the folks, thank you for joining us. For those that are still here, we're going to be doing this again on a weekly basis. If you guys uh, are using the good old Instagram, give us a follow at uh, Figuratively Feasting. That's our handle on Instagram. If you have any questions, we love feedback. If you have questions about industry things, about foraging things. You know, as we get down the road further, we'll talk about so many different topics. Yeah. Figuratevelyfeasting at gmail.com. Also on the Instagram, send us a you know, direct message, a DM. If you have a question, feedback, whatever, we'll post things up there. My personal handle is Chef James Gop uh, on Instagram, and also my business is at Heirloom Fire. For Simeon? My handle on Instagram is Simeon Food Nature. Uh, just launched it recently, actually. So go there to check out some great videos that are semi-instructional, semi-fun, semi-just ridiculous. Yeah, all semi, but actually all really well done. And uh, don't let them be modest. It's They're, they're very informative, beautiful. Uh, and let's get them some likes. Thanks, man. Yeah, hook me up. Yeah, right. So for now, we're going to punch out here. But thank you so much, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.